Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Deuteronomy 22, starting in verses, verse 22 and going through verse 27. This can be found on page 307. And um, the topics being addressed today are um, a bit more adult-themed. So you can kind of peek ahead here, and if, if anyone needs to be removed from the room, you have just but a few moments to do so. But I will leave that up to you as parents. All right. Uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter 22, starting in verse 22. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. And we ask this morning that you would help us to hear your word, to understand it, Lord, to be ready to be changed by it. God, help us to know better who you are and who it is that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 22, starting verse 22. This is a part of uh, the law that Moses is giving again before people go into the promised land. It says, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. If a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. But if out in the country a man happens to meet a young woman pledged to be married and rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. Do nothing to the woman. She has committed no sin deserving deserving death. This case is like that of someone who attacks and murders a neighbor. For the man found the young woman out in the country, and though the betrothed woman screamed, there was no one to rescue her. I told you. Moving on, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. We're not finished with these topics, by the way. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. This is getting towards the end of uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus where he has, and we've mentioned this again and again, on the first half of the letter he talks about who we are in Jesus and what he has done for us. And then the second half is, therefore, this is how we now live. And here in this particular section he kind of brings us all together again and tells us that our doing all of these things is not something that comes from us. This is being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power not being strong in ourselves or in our power. Here we go. Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning, we are looking at a uh, passage from from John chapter 8 that is um, it's a difficult passage. It's a difficult passage uh, to deal with, partly because it is, of all the passages in the Bible, the one that may not be in the Bible. That's kind of weird to start off with. And so if you'll turn there, you'll see, you should see a note in your Bible saying as much. Uh, if you're reading NIV, this is the way that the uh, translators have put this in to let us know. If you're reading a different translation, they may have different words, but they should say something similar. It says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 to 8, 11. A few manuscripts include these verses wholly or in part after John 7, 36, John 21, 25, Luke 21, 38, or Luke 24, 53. What does this mean? This is going back all the way to uh, the earliest copies uh, that we have of uh, the New Testament. And when you look at those, they say, well, this particular story is not here. And yet, it's found its way into our Bibles. So what do we do with that? Throw it out? Well, apparently not, because here it is. Um, and this is one of those stories that there are uh, a lot of stories that were kind of about Jesus or around there, sayings of Jesus, the sort of thing that we don't find in the Bible, and they're with good reason. And it's because as you read those and you hold them up next to the gospel accounts, you go, this is telling a very different story about a very different Jesus. The story we're about to read, one of the reasons why it's still in the Bible is because even though we're not quite sure, did John write this? If he did, did he put it here? Did he put it a little earlier, a little later in the gospel? Was it something that Luke wrote? Is this something that... Uh, other people added in as they were copying this later because it just fits so nicely. When we're looking at this, we may not know the necessarily origin of the author, but the story itself does ring uh, as true as you compare it to everything else that we know about Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to see what it is that happens in this particular story and see how in this one story you basically get the, the story of the whole gospel in one little, um, little bit here. And so uh, it's one of those where whoever wrote it down, however it found its way in here, uh, I think we can say this is something that happened. This is something that happened with a particular woman and uh, at a particular time and place with Jesus there, and we'll see what he said and did, and we will learn from it ourselves. Here's a story, then we'll talk about it. starting in verse uh, 2, chapter 8. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin 
be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You've heard this story before, haven't you? This is a, a well-loved story, and one of the reasons why is because it does capture so much about uh, who Jesus is and the kinds of things that he did and said and why he came at all, and it all is in this one story. So let's kind of unpack it a little bit, and we'll see how that tells that story and how this is also telling our story. Um, you will notice that there are three, kind of three groups here. There's Jesus, there's the woman, and there's the crowd, right? Uh, the crowd is made up of teachers of the law and of Pharisees. And what is it they're trying to do? To trap Jesus. To trap him with a question. Now, you know, you've heard um, probably that the classic trap question is, uh, have you stopped beating your wife? You've heard that one? And it's used as an example of a trap question because there, it's a yes or no question, but either way you say it, you're admitting guilt. <laughs> and it's like there's, there's no way to say, so if you say, uh, yes, I stopped beating her, then it's like, oh, well, that means you were at some point. It's like, oh, okay, then no, no, I haven't stopped. Oh, so you still are. Oh, no, <laughs> that's not it either. <laughs> and so no matter which way you answer, it's like a yes or no question. It's a yes or no. Just give me a simple yes or no. It, Anytime somebody says, just give me a simple yes or no, it's probably a trap. Anyway, uh, that's what they're doing here with Jesus. They're not asking that question. They're asking a different one. Um, and here, though, they're not just looking to, um, to get him in trouble. There's a bit of that. And, in fact, what they're looking for is to get some accusations so that they can put him to death. But before they even get there, this isn't just a hypothetical question. There is a human life on the line. They bring this woman in front of Jesus. They put her there and then say, okay, now let's ask you a question. And the way that he answers this question, you think this matters to her? Oh, I think so. But here's what's crazy, is that the people who are asking the question of Jesus are asking it because they want to get him in trouble, because they want to get him uh, killed, because they don't believe that he has the authority to do and say what he's been doing and saying right? They don't believe that he's got this authority. And yet, when he answers this question, they actually do what he says. You find that odd? The whole reason for this whole setup is they don't believe that he has this authority. And then when he makes his decision, it's like, well, the judge has spoken and now we must abide by that. And so even in their walking away at the end, they are recognizing, at least to some degree, that he does have authority in these matters. That's just, that's crazy. I hope that blows your mind, that they would come uh, one way and walk away another, just by how he handles this. The other thing is, of course, um, the way 
in which they, they care very deeply uh, about getting Jesus in trouble. And they care not one bit about this woman. You notice that? And look at Jesus. How does he contrast with that? Does it seem that he cares a whole lot about whether or not he gets in trouble? I mean, we'll see, we'll see later. No, he just really doesn't care about that. In fact, he knows he's going to get in trouble. He came, in part, to get in trouble. Does he care about this woman? He does, and that comes through pretty clearly. Now, I want to go over a little something about this crowd and this uh, stoning of the woman because, uh, you know, we read in Deuteronomy, it actually says what we just read. Um, it talks about stoning in verse 24 of chapter 22. If a man happens to meet a ta- in a town a virgin pledged to be married and sleeps with her, you should take them both and, uh, to the gate and then stone them. So it does specifically talk about stoning there. That's not the case in her case. In her case, it's more uh, what we see earlier, where it just says, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. It doesn't say how. You get the same thing in Leviticus. They must die. But it doesn't say how. And yet, they seem pretty intent when talking to Jesus, um, saying, in the, law of Moses, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Did it say that? No. This is very, very similar to uh, Genesis chapter 3 where we have the serpent who says, did God really say? And starts twisting what God has said. And that's what they've done right here. They've twisted what God has said and where it did say that the man and woman should die, but doesn't specify how. They say, well, it says that she is to be stoned. Well, that's interesting. These are the teachers of the law. They should know better. But their point is really not upholding the law. The point is getting Jesus in trouble, getting this woman killed. Uh, so there's that they've already kind of messed up. But why is it that stoning had become such a popular way of killing people at that time? Why is it they wanted to stone her instead of having her executed some other way? We don't know. But I've got a, got a good guess on this one. And that comes down to keeping your hands clean. And a little something we like to call plausible deniability. In other words, you don't have to get close to kill somebody by stoning. You can do that from a distance. Not only that, but the one stone you throw, you can walk away from there going, you know, that probably wasn't the one that did it. It wasn't me that killed her. And so you can participate in this execution and walk away believing you have done nothing wrong. This is what the law has commanded. And sure, I threw my rock, but come on. My rock wasn't the one that did it. It was all the rocks that did it. And the reason I bring this up, because we kind of think about stoning now and we think, what a barbaric thing. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> Isn't that good? And it's true that we don't do this anymore with stones. But we do with words, don't we? 
for the, some of the same reasons. We'll keep our hands clean. You don't have to get close to say something. You can even say it behind their back. And it can be just as effective. And then you can walk away from whatever it is that happens. And as all the words have piled on somebody and been just as soul-killing as stones are body-killing, we can walk away and go, well, all I said was. Right? Plausible deniability. They may be crushed, but that was mostly other people. I just had a little bit that I did. We like this method of execution. And so hopefully, as we read this story, we can see ourselves in this story, in the crowd. And I think that's part one of the story, is just recognizing ourselves in the crowd. And now let me tell you, I'm not saying this as someone who, I get it all right, you guys are the ones with problems. <laughs> when I was in middle school, high school, you know what my highest priority in life was? It wasn't God. Not the Bible, not church. Nothing related to that. It wasn't sports. It wasn't academics. It wasn't girls. These are all good guesses, by the way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> It was humor. That was my highest priority. And so if, man, if you had a clever way of saying something, that was what mattered in my mind. Well, does that tear somebody down? Or does that uh, join in throwing the stones at other people? Who cares? It's funny. That that was what was the highest priority. And that is the way I lived. And as I uh, got older, and Jesus has gotten hold of me and done different things with me, I still fall into that. But not as much as I used to. And now when I do, I can recognize it differently than I did back then. Anyway, but I, what I'm saying is, I know what it's like to be in this crowd. I also know why, and it doesn't say why. I think I know why. When it says, um, when Jesus says, let any one of you who's out without sin to be the first to throw a stone at her. And then it says that at this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time, the older ones first. It doesn't say why the older ones left first. But as I get older, I feel like I understand it more. That when, uh, when I was younger, I was really good at being able to excuse myself for anything. Well, that wasn't me, you know, it was the situation. Or, well, it wasn't really me because, you know, I'm a good person. It just so happens that in that one case, there was this or this or this. But I always, oh, man, get myself off the hook, at least in my own mind. The older I get... No, that's me. That's me. And so uh, when he says, let any one of you who's out sin be the first to throw a stone, I think it's the older people who go, oh, well, that's me out. <laughs> I know by now that I can't claim innocence. 
But they all go away, don't they? They all go away. And, uh, and so then we have this, this woman who is caught and who's standing there. And who, when she comes into the situation, and here I think we're supposed to see ourselves in her situation as well, been in the crowd. But basically, if you have seen yourself in the position of the crowd, you know, okay, hey, no one's perfect, right? That's the lesson here. No one's perfect. And that means me too. And that means I'm just as guilty as any one of them, but that means I'm also just as guilty as she was. So now we kind of shift ourselves and we put ourselves in her place. And maybe you've been there before too, where you know what it feels like to have everyone around you kind of circle up the verbal wagons and start attacking. And if you have been in that situation, I want you to hear what Jesus says to this woman in the same way that she did. First of all, I think she would have been shocked that this is how this goes down. That at the end of all this, people just walk away. And she's still standing there. Is she guilty? Yeah, she's guilty. But she's still standing. How is she guilty and still standing? It's because of Jesus. Jesus gets in the way and changes things. And when he then stands back up, he says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I kind of feel like the way that she was saying this is just an absolute astonishment. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. I can't believe it. No, she's caught in the act, and no one's condemned her. They didn't not condemn her because she wasn't guilty. She was guilty. Jesus says, let the one who's out sin throw the first stone. And as I said, part of what we learn from this is, hey, nobody's perfect. But that's really not the whole truth, is it? Because there is someone who's perfect. In all the history of the entire world, there's one person who was without sin who could have thrown the first stone, and he was right there. And so then the real question is, why didn't he throw it? He could have thrown the first stone, and he was there and in a position to do so. Why did he not throw that stone? He asks her, has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. There are two reasons um, that he doesn't throw the stone. One, one is because he understands that though this was intended as a trap, The idea here is if he says, uh, stone her, yeah, do that, then he upholds the law of Moses. On the other hand, he breaks the Roman law. On the other hand, the woman dies. On the other hand, too many hands. If he says, no, don't stone her, okay, now she lives, you've upheld the, upheld the Roman law, but now you've broken the law of Moses. You can't do that either. And so the question that they seem to be asking is, which law are you going to go by? 
And what he does is he upholds all of it. This is what um, he says in Matthew 5 when he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. To show what it was always about. And so when he says, Neither do I condemn you, does he say, You are innocent? Does he say, What you did wasn't wrong? No, he doesn't say that. In fact, he's saying, you are guilty. That's why he says, go and leave your life of sin. He's saying, it was a life of sin. That's what you were in. And so he upholds the law, and yet he doesn't throw the stone. As it says in a few chapters earlier in John 3, you know chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is where I say this story kind of takes the whole gospel at once. On the one hand, it says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all a part of that crowd or we're the woman herself. We're in there somewhere. And yet, God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If Jesus had been sent to condemn the world, he would have thrown that stone. So she's guilty, and this is what you get. For the wages of sin is death. But, as Paul tells us, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, yes, she's guilty, but she doesn't get death. She gets life instead. But a new kind of life. Go and leave your life of sin. And for those who were there that day and saw this play out, that's the part of the story they would have known. And that is pretty amazing in and of itself. But there's a second reason that Jesus didn't throw this stone. And standing in front of this table, I hope you all know that reason. That the reason he was able to condemn the sin without condemning her as a sinner is because he was going to take the stones that should have gone to her. That he was going to die the death that she deserved. And not just for her, but for all those who are standing in that crowd, for all those who are sitting here today, who are standing here today. That those of us who have been uh, in the crowd, who have been the woman, who understand, we don't have it together. We aren't perfect. We keep saying things that we wish we could take back. We keep doing things that we wish we could take back, that we could undo, because we see the destruction that they cause in our lives and the lives of those around us. And some days we hear this condemnation from everyone around us, and some days we just hear it from ourselves. We hear the whispering in our heads. And if that's what you hear from those around you or from your own self, wherever that comes from, what I want you to hear today is the a different voice. One where Jesus says to her and when he says to you, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus has died in our place. Not so we can carry on and keep doing the things we've been doing. But he died because we deserve death. 
pain that we would have life. He sees the woman not as a prop in an intellectual argument, but he sees her as someone who has been created by and loved by God, who has distorted that image of her creator through the things that she has been doing. And yet he can see past that and say, you are not defined by your sin. You are defined by your creator. Now go. (laughs) But go a different way than you came. Go from here, but go a different way than you came. For I have a life for you that is different, that is better, and that is good. And of course, that day, the only one who knew how he was able to give this life was him. Knowing that to give her life would cost him his. But that's why he came. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.